Good morning once again, and it's good to be sharing God's Word with you uh, this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13, verses 45 to 46. Matthew 13, 45 and 46. Let's read. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man, seeking goodly pearls, who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. So let's look to the Lord um, in prayer. Father, we uh, thank you once again for this time. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your word. And Lord, we, uh, we thank you for the precious salvation which we share only because of what was done for us and because of who you are. And this morning I would, I would ask that as I share this word with my brethren here, that you'd be glorified, that Jesus would be the one who is our focus, that his name would be lifted up, that our hearts would be open to your truth and that we'd be willing to live that truth in our lives. Father, I pray that you hide me behind your cross this morning, that uh, people don't see me, but they hear you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a story that's told of a Christian missionary who befriended a Hindu man a number of years ago and explained to this man the, the gospel, what salvation was all about. How Jesus had gone to the cross, he had paid for his sins, and God had offered this wonderful uh, gift to him. The Hindu man became convinced of who Jesus was, what he, went, what he did on the cross, and, and all those things. And he thought to himself that a fitting thing to do to become a Christian would be to crawl to Delhi on his knees to earn his salvation. But before he, the story goes, before he, he left, he was so um, thankful to the missionary for the wonderful news that he'd heard about what Jesus had done and, and that this was the only religion now and the only way to God that he, he gave him a box and, and he, he had this box, he said, for a number of years, and he kept one thing inside the box. And and missionary opened it, and there was a pearl in there, just one pearl. And the, uh, the missionary said, what's, what's this? And he said, well, this is a, uh, my son used to be a pearl diver. And this was one of the biggest pearls that he ever caught, and he didn't make it. He actually, by the time he came up, he, it was, he was down for too long, apparently, and he, he died soon after. So the father was left with this pearl as a memento of his son. And he said, I want to give it to you, to the missionary. And the missionary said, I can't take this. This is worth way too much money. I'll offer you money for it. I'll give you thousands of dollars, he offered him. And the 
and the Hindu man said, no, 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 I can't take, can't take money for this. He goes, this is, I'm, I'm giving it to you as a gift. And the, and the missionary said, I can't take it. It's too, it's too precious a thing. I'll give you money for it. And they were, they were sort of going through this bantering. And friend, the Hindu, said, this pearl is beyond price. No man in the world has enough money to, to buy this pearl from me because of what it means. I want you to have it as a gift. And the missionary said, I can't, I can't take it. And, the, mission, and the, the, the Hindu said, you don't understand. He goes, my son, it cost my son his life to get this pearl. I, if I sold it for money, I would be belittling what the value of it was. And the missionary uh, uh, realised at that particular point, he said, do you see not that this is what you're doing with God? To the Hindu. He said, you're trying to do to God and the gift that he's offering you the same thing I'm trying to do to you and buy this thing from you. It's worth too much to you. And he began to understand at that point. The, the salvation that is offered to us as a gift that can't have a price. If you try to buy that salvation, if you try to earn it in any particular way, all you're doing is belittling it. Do you understand? If something is so precious to you and someone says, I'll give you $1,000 for it, all they're doing is belittling the value of it. So when God offers man this gift of salvation, which cost him his only son, if someone comes to God and says, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll do this for you. I'll be faithful. I'll do this. I won't do this. I won't do that. I'll keep all these rules and regulations. What you're essentially saying is you're going to earn that gift. Is that insulting or not? It is. It's actually insulting. God offers heaven as a free gift. The gift is so valuable that no man on earth in fact, all the men on earth and all their works and all their good things and all the things they try and achieve and all their wealth could never buy this one gift. In fact, line up every man from the beginning till now and if they all were good workers and, and they, they did a number of good things, they still couldn't earn this gift. We would always fall short. Doesn't matter how many pilgrimages you do and how many things you sacrifice, you cannot earn something so precious. This is an interesting parable. It says, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. The common interpretation of this passage is that we are the merchants. The common interpretation is that we are the merchants. Christ is the pearl and salvation that comes along with him. And that when we find this pearl, we do everything we can to find this pearl. And when we find this pearl, we realise how valuable it is. 
So we sell everything we have to buy it, which means give up everything that we are and we have in order to purchase this pearl. I have a number of problems with that on a number of different levels. A sinner can't obtain salvation. He can't earn salvation. And if we look at the context of this parable, the interpretation, or this particular interpretation, would imply that somehow something we did, something we owned, something we, we, we had of value was able to purchase this salvation for ourselves and we could somehow buy Christ. So the, the, the common way that this, this parable is actually interpreted is that um, Christ himself is the pearl. We are the merchants, so we're seeking something of value. And we find that value in salvation. Then, once we find that value, we appreciate what that value is, and we sell all we have in order to buy it, and Christ becomes our possession. That makes man the seeker. That makes man the seeker of God and the seeker of the kingdom of God which is inconsistent with one of the most clearly taught truths in the Bible, that unregenerate man does not seek after God. Unsaved people do not seek after God. I find it interesting when, when people say, oh, no, that person is genuinely seeking. That person is genuinely seeking. Okay. People don't seek after God. In fact, if Scripture is correct, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. If that scripture is true, then the other one can't be true at the same time. So when people say to you, oh, he's genuinely seeking, you know something? It's not that he's genuinely seeking. It's God's genuinely seeking him and has almost got him. The other issue when you look at this, this parable, and I wanna, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll dig into it a little bit more as you go along, is that it's if, you, if you were to say that we are the merchant and, and Christ is somehow the pearl, and Christ, don't get me wrong, Christ is the pearl. Christ is a, the pearl. He is the most precious thing you could, ever, you could ever have in your life. The question, though, is can you purchase him? Can we somehow buy him? If we, if we you translate it or interpret it that, that we are the merchant and Christ is the pearl, though, it's inconsistent with the rest of the parables that are actually in that same passage. Go back with me to Matthew chapter 13. Look at verse 3. We'll have a look at a few of the passages that lead up to that, that passage. Matthew chapter 13, verse 3. And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying... Behold, a sower went forth to sow. And when he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them. Now, we'll stop there. We don't need to read the whole thing, because otherwise we'll be here all day. Who's the sower? It's Christ who's the sower. And he's sowing the word of God. And the word of God is to produce fruit. Look at Matthew 13, 24. Another parable he put to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. Who's this man that sowed in that field? It's the Lord. What was he sowing? People. He was planting people. 
And then the devil came and planted other people in the midst of them. And the interpretation is found a little bit further down. Look, Matthew 13, 37. He answered unto them, in verse 37, He answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom. He's sowing children of the kingdom. But the tares are the children of the wicked one. Look at verse 31. Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field. Who's the man? What did he plant? Planted a grain. Is that, is, that a, is that a man, though? Is that man that sows and plants the kingdom of God? In all these parables, you could argue, the first two, you could argue quite easily, that the man doing the work, the man sowing the seed, is the son of God. The person who's, who does the actual work, who's responsible for saving the souls, who's responsible for preaching the word, for planning the church. Which brings us to this parable in verse 44. And it says again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure hid in a field. The which when a man hath found, he hideth and for joy thereof, thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath and buyeth that field. Once again, most commentators would say that the kingdom of heaven here is being sought by men. And when they find it, they sell everything they have to buy that particular field. I still have an issue with that. Because it almost parallels the, the parable of the pearl. In that the merchant looking for the good pearls is the one who does the finding, is the one who does the buying, is the one who does all the work, who does the appreciating. Can the man buys the whole field and finds the treasure be man. What do we have in exchange for a field with treasure in it? What do we have in exchange for a pearl? I would argue with this morning that in line with the parables before it, it's the Son of God who finds the treasure and buys the field. It's the, it's the Son of God who is the merchant who finds the actual pearl. And if we do it the other way around, it makes, it makes us the buyer, it makes us the ones who are active. But if it's him, it makes us, it makes us the object of value. It makes us the thing that he came to purchase. And I want to argue that this morning with you. I want to explain that to you this morning. So... And the way I see it, the merchant is Jesus. The pearl is the church, his body and his bride. And the great price that was paid, in other words, everything that was given, was his own life that was given on that cross and the blood that he spilt. It was God who was willing to pay the price to redeem his church, not the other way around. Let's look at some interesting facts of a pearl. A pearl is a hidden work. A pearl is something that happens in private, in secret. A pearl grows inside an oyster, underwater, where no one sees it happening. 
In a similar fashion, Paul tells us in Ephesians that the church was a mystery until it was revealed to him. Something that was hidden from the foundation of the world, this is a mystery. Okay, turn with me to Colossians chapter 1, verse 26. Colossians chapter 1, verse 26. It says here, even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you is Christ in his church. There's a mystery that, that, that has happened. You see, there was before the before the Jesus planted his church on that rock, okay, which was that, that foundation himself, there was a, a struggle that was happening because the only way you could um, enter into the kingdom of God was essentially become a Jew. You had to become a Jew and follow the, the Judaic law. But when, the, when Jesus planted the church, he opened it up to all Gentiles and Jews, and there was no more Gentile and Jew in the church. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Don't have to turn there. It says, Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away, Reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Ready to be revealed. It hasn't been revealed yet, you see. The church is, a, is a, still a hidden thing. Turn to Romans chapter 8 with me. There's two more passages. I want to just share with you, just to, just to make this point clear. The church to the world is still hidden. We have not been revealed. We understand what the church is, but to the world, it's still a hidden thing. They don't see us as we actually are. Romans 8.18 says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory of which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. The earnest expectation of the creature waiteth, that's all creation, is waiting for the sons of God to become manifest. We aren't manifest yet. We haven't been glorified yet. Because the day we are glorified is the day this world will be redeemed. Look at 1 John chapter 3 with me. 1 John chapter 3 verse 1.
First John chapter three verse one says, "Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore, the world knoweth us not, because it knew Him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when He shall appear." We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So, two important points. The church, the, or the world, is blind to the church at the moment. It cannot recognise the church. It doesn't recognise who we actually are. So the church is, to the world, hidden at the moment. Completely hidden. And it will only be when Jesus is revealed when we see him as he is, and we will be glorified, after that will the, will the world understand who we actually are. So in the same way, the pearl hides, sorry, the, the oyster hides this pearl that's, that's hidden somewhere that no one can actually see. A work is taking place. And the same way God is working in his church, creating something that the world cannot see. How many times have you tried to explain what God has done in your life to people that are unsaved and how many times do they understand? It's difficult to explain. Actually, it's impossible to explain. It's because God has done something in our lives that has changed us so profoundly, that has done something so radically uh, amazing to us He's actually changed us. He's brought us from a place where we are his enemies. And in an instant, he's made us his children and adopted us into his family. And the Bible says that we are seated with him in heavenly places. We, when we pray, are approaching his throne in heaven without even understanding it. If we saw the spiritual world and we saw each other in that spiritual world, that, that our eyes find it difficult to see because we only see the material, I wonder what we would see with each other. So the pearl is a hidden work. The pearl is also a product of suffering. A pearl is formed when an oyster gets a grain of sand trapped in its, in its flesh. A piece of sand or, or, or a piece of bone or something like that, it irritates the oyster inside. So it responds by coating this, this, this material... Uh, this grain of sand with layer upon layer of a substance called nacre, which is basically saliva and calcium. And it, and it builds this, this layer upon layer of this thing. That's why they, they end up becoming round. It is the same substance that, that coats the inside of, a, of a, an oyster shell. That's why an oyster shell is always shiny and multicoloured. The church was born out of suffering. You see, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 says, husbands, husbands, love your wives. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to be going through suffering, husbands. But even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish, he gave himself means that, he gave his life. He went through much suffering for this church to be born. Do you understand that? 
Isaiah 53 verse 4 says, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed. The church was born through much suffering. The next thing I want you to understand is that the pearl, a pearl is created from something essentially worthless. A pearl is formed from all types of junk, essentially. A piece of sand, a piece of bone, dead from a dead fish. It's something that essentially doesn't have any value. And God was able to take hell-bound sinners, enemies of God, full of iniquity and sin and stain, that really had, in essence, no value. And he made it into something beautiful. Look at Ephesians chapter 2 with me. Ephesians chapter 2, just verse 1 and 2. It says here, And you, that's us, hath he quickened. That doesn't mean to make us faster. It means he's actually made us alive when we were dead. He brought us to life. Who were dead in trespasses, in trespasses and sins. We're in time past, you walked according to the course of this world. In other words, we did what everyone else did. According to the prince of the power of the air. That's Satan himself. The spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. You see, at one stage, we were dead in sin. Only headed for hell. Only worthy of hell. And while we were in that state, while we were essentially worthless... God took us and changed us completely. He gave us a home in heaven. He made us his children. He completely took something that had no value and made something of value. Which brings me to my next point. A pearl is of great value. Pearls can be worth an absolute fortune. One, roughly in every 10,000 oysters, unless they're artificially produced and they, and they, they do it artificially. Um, created an oyster, creates a, uh, a pearl. That's why a string of, of natural pearls can be worth a lot of money. The church is worth a lot to God. The church is worth an absolute fortune to God. Because he paid such a high price to obtain us. It cost him his own son to buy us, to purchase us. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 with me. That God who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. The same verse almost as before. By grace are ye saved and has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ. 
Is that something of value? Is that something of value that can sit with Christ in heaven? It is. That's something of great value. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20 says, For ye are bought with a price, not delivered with a price, bought, obtained, purchased with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are, you know how that verse finishes? God's. Hang on a sec. You're bought with a price, ye are God's. We were bought. Bought. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 with me. First Peter chapter 1, verse 18 says, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold. Okay, so and let's stop there for a moment. I spoke about being redeemed. I think it was last, last sermon. Being redeemed means being, to be brought back, okay, when you, when you were away. So we were redeemed. You can redeem a voucher, can't you? If you have a voucher, you can redeem that voucher and get something in return for it. While God brought us back. So for as much as you, you know that you were not redeemed, purchased with corruptible things, things that, that, that can rust and, and, and go old as silver and gold, from your vain conversation, that's your lifestyle, received by tradition from your fathers, but with what? With the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. The cost of buying us was the blood of his own son. Is there anything more precious in the universe, in all of eternity? Because I can't think of anything more precious than that. And he spent it. He spent it all in order to buy us. How much does he value us? How much does he value us now? That we have been bought. Turn to Revelation chapter 29. I'm going to ask you a question. Revelation chapter 21. What's more precious to the Lord Jesus Christ than his own bride? What's more precious to him? Revelation chapter 21 verse 9. This is the description of the church, okay? So I want you to pay careful attention to this. This is right at the end when everything's revealed. Revelation 21 verse 9. There came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come hither, I will show thee the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain, and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, and her light was like Unto a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. And had a, a wall great and high, and had twelve gates. And at the gates twelve angels, and the names written thereon, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, 
and in them the name of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and in them the name of the twelve apostles. Sorry, have I read that already? Yes, I have. And he that talked with me had a golden reed to measure the city, and the gates thereof, and the wall thereof. And the city lieth four square, and the length is the length as is as large as the breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs, the length and the breadth and the height of it are equal. And he measured the wall thereof in 140 and 4 cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, of the angel. And the building of the wall of it was of jasper, and the city was pure gold, like unto clear glass. And the foundations of the wall of the city were garnished with all manner of precious stones, the first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the, the third uh, chalcedony, the fourth an emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardius, the seventh uh, chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth a topaz, the tenth a chrysoprasus, sorry, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth an amethyst. Look at this. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Every several gate was of one pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, and as it was, as it was transparent glass. And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. Is there anything more precious to the Lord than his own church? Than his bride that comes down? This is what he's preparing. This is what he's preparing. And you and I are going to be in it. The church is loved greatly by God himself, not because there was any inherent beauty in us that we deserved to be loved, but simply because he chose to love us. He chose to love and bestow his love and to find a bride for his son. So he went looking. God goes looking for a bride for his son. And his son paid the price for the bride. The church is of great value to the world. To the world. Even though the world doesn't understand it or comprehend it or can't see it and finds it frustrating. It's through the church the Lord continues to reach out to this world. Do you understand? When it says that we are his body. We are his body on this earth. He works through us. He resides within us and he does his work through us to reach this world. Take the church out of this world and the church and the world is lost. It is in the church that the Spirit of God resides, even to restrain evil in this world. Most of you understand the predicament this world is in at the moment. With all the things that are going on in our governments and in... And in, uh, in you understand. You don't have to watch the news too many times to understand the predicament this world is in. And the ones who are restraining and trying to hold back are the Christians in this world. To hold back the length and the evil to which this world can go. And it's not because of us. It's because the Spirit of God can work through us. But because this church is so valuable to the Lord, I want to ask you a question this morning. How valuable is it to you? 
How valuable is it to you? Jesus gave his life for the church. And you might say, well, I'm a part of the church. But how do you treat the rest of it? What's your view of the rest of the church? Yeah, you might be part of it. But do you pray for it? Do you give to it? Do you work for it? Do you sacrifice for it? And it's not because you're doing it for the church. You're doing it for the Lord. The church is worth what we can give. Because it means so much to Jesus. The final point I want to make about a pearl is that a pearl reflects light. One of the outstanding qualities of a pearl is its ability to reflect light. The luster of a pearl, or the lack thereof, determines the value of the actual pearl. The church, like a moon and a pearl, reflects the light of the Lord to this world. Matthew 5.14 says, Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. There is much that can be said about the pearl, and I could be here all day. We could talk about it being round, which speaks of maybe its eternal nature. We could mention that there is only one pearl to an oyster, that there is only one true church. We could talk about the fact that the vast majority of pearls are white, which speaks of purity. But we don't need to. Jesus Christ came to purchase his bride. He did that at Calvary's cross. He paid the ultimate price to win his bride. And now he's in heaven preparing a home for us. Did we seek Christ? No. We did not seek him. He sought us. He came after us and then he gave everything he had to win us. And the Bible says, when, when the Lord says that when I, even I, be lifted up, what does he say? I will draw all men to myself. It's because he was lifted up. That doesn't mean he was glorified. That means he was put to death. Now look at the attention of, turn your attention just for a moment to the merchant, the Lord. And let's look at him as a, an example of how we should live though. The merchant came looking, or goes looking for a pearl. Okay? Jesus came from heaven to earth to find us. He came a very long way in order to find us, buy us, and then bring us back with him. There is a job to do. Because he now lives in us and has not stopped doing that, he is still seeking men. He is still seeking to save. And he does that through you and me. If we sit idly by while people go to hell each and every day without sharing a word, without being good witnesses, without having a good testimony in front of them, then we have missed a critical point in this whole thing. Is that Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. And when I look outside those windows... Lost everywhere. 
everywhere. You can't count them. Lost means lost. Eternally lost. You know, as you get older, you go through pain and suffering, don't you? The older you get, I know there are people who are suffering with arthritis, back problems and eye problems and all these different things. We've got Paul away who's got a bad back. I'll just share something with you. The pain that we go through now does not compare to the pain that, that they will endure for eternity. The merchant came to seek and save that which was lost. If we sit in these comfortable pews and let them die, and how, what sort of a bride are we? How can we allow Jesus to pay the ultimate price to save us and then not share that with other people as well? Isn't it the ultimate act of selfishness? Ultimate. Jesus has commanded us to go into all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe whatever he commanded. Our task is to be a witness for him in this world, to live for him. If we don't live for him now, when will we live for him? When we're glorified. Now is the time to live for him. Our Lord gave up everything he had in order to redeem us, to buy us, to rescue us. We need to have the same fervency as he did. He valued the pearl far above what he already had. Can you imagine? He was in heaven. Never experienced any pain. Never experienced any suffering. Was never away from his father. Never had to deal with frustrating people. But yet he left being worshipped by countless angels. Sitting on a throne in heaven. And came to this. He came to this. And went through not just what we go through, but more. He went through much more than we did. He suffered everything. So what did he lose? What did he give up for it? Everything. What are we going to give up? To walk across the street. To share a word. To live a life, what are we giving up? Let me tell you, what is it that we have, we have to give? Because it ain't much. What are we sacrificing really when we compare it to what he sacrificed for us? Hey, Jesus, think about this. In heaven, he has, he, he has all the glories of heaven. He's, he has all the, 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 the worship and has all the, all the attention. And while he is on earth, he says, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He didn't have a house. He didn't have a bed. Any of you have not got a bed? Any of you not live in a house? Any of us not... Uh, what do we lack here? Any of you lack any major, major thing? You're not, you're not going to survive? He gave it all. And he gave it all for each and every one of us. So let me ask you a question. If he valued Terry so much, then he gave it all for Terry. 
How should I treat Terry? Knowing that Jesus loves him so much. Knowing that Terry's his specially betrothed. Knowing that he gave everything for Terry. How should I treat Terry? Should I not honour Terry? Should not honour Terry as, as his betrothed? There's something special about Terry. Huh? Now let me extend that to all of you. Is there not something special in all of you? That we should treat each other with great honour and respect and love and kindness and gentleness. That's how highly we should value each other. How would you look after a close friend's most cherished possession? What would you do with it? Let's say someone came to you and said, I'm going away, I need you to look after this for me. It belonged to my great-great-great-grandfather. It's been handed down from generation to generation. It's precious to my family. It means so much. Can you please look after it for me for a while while I'm away? That's me. What would you do with that thing? Some of us might not even take it at all. How important is the Lord's Church to you? Are you ready to give your all for the Lord in order to serve Him through the church? Do we love those outside of the church enough to give ourselves to them as well? Let me close with that thought. If I'm correct, and Jesus is the merchant, and He gave everything He had, had to buy this pearl, at the moment... He is still working to prepare this pearl. He's coding it, and he's coding it, and he's coding it, and he's building it, and he's, it's hidden at the moment. And one day it'll be revealed. Where are you in that? Are you the, are you a pearl? Are you part of this pearl, or are you still outside? It's only when you are in Christ do you have value. If you're outside of Christ, what value do you have? Not to yourself, not to others, and ultimately, in the end, you will be all alone. If you don't know if you're saved this morning, if you haven't entered into that relationship with Christ and said, I'll accept that gift that you've, you've given me, then you are lost. And you need to be saved. Don't wait another day to be saved. Come and see me straight after the service. Don't waste another minute. God bless you. Thank you. Sam.